0: week for the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wind Trust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs. The Wind Trust Crosstown Series concludes with a trip to the South Side May 28th and 29th. As always, Elise Meneker here, your host, Tony Andraki, digital content manager, Cubs reporter, and Dan Pleasak. Great to have you on the pod. I'm here the director, conductor <laughs> Big Blue That's Train. Right. I'm the host, you're the conductor exactly. <laughs> um, we have a lot to get to as always. Uh, and the Cubs, it's a fun stretch right now and that's kind of where we're going to start in the last few weeks playing better ball. So Dan, especially cuz you're the conductor, I want you to start just kind of your impressions of what you've seen.
1: Well, the last I would say the last handful of games, I don't I think it coincides with what the Cubs had looked for all along. They needed Wisdom, they needed Swindell to start yeah. to hit. They've both hit, they're hitting home runs, they're scoring runs, and that's what they needed when the season started. Last year Frank Swindell burst on the scene. Patrick Wisdom had this magical return to the big leagues, and they were counting on those two guys. They got off the slow starts. They're finally swinging the bat well.
2: Yeah, and I, I really, I think it comes down to that. Timely hitting, obviously, is always so important. But I think they're, they've, are they by and large, played really good defense the last yeah. few weeks and starting pitching. And I mean, that's right. where it comes back to. David Ross always talks. It's pitching and defense. And of course, this guy's seen a lot of winning. He's been around that. But a lot of people say pitching and defense. <laughs> and starting pitching creates that, that uh, trickle-down effect. And I think their starters, the Cubs starters, have done so well over the last, like, probably three weeks now. And then getting Wade Miley back, you know, getting Stroman back, like having those five guys, knowing what the rotation is, some consistency and stability, I think it's paid pretty big dividends for this team, and we're seeing it in the win column recently. I
0: think it was a few weeks ago, you know, I was saying on the pod, like this team, and mostly in baseball it's going to work, this team is going to go as their starting pitching goes. Yeah. So when they're starting pitching, they can get some length, they can get some good innings, then you're going to see good results. And this is a ball club that can put the ball in play, and they need their timely hits, and in some tough losses, that's where it, the offense has been lacking. But... I think to your point, when you can get Schwindel and Wisdom to be who they were uh, late last year, then that's you know those are the power bats and those are the guys that you're gonna lean on uh, in the key situations and just to get things going. And who knew that at times you'd be leaning on Christopher Morrell? Yeah. I don't know if you saw that at bat, but it was unbelievable. it was the of the it season was for the Cubs. One of the Up coolest things point, I've seen.
1: National attention. I mean, you get it first at bat, you work a tremendous at bat, get to count to three to two, and you hit a ball in the street your first at bat. <laughs> I think the coolest part about that for me was. Watching the reaction of Wilson Contreras after he hit the home run, jumping over the dugout, and he has brought a genuine flair of, it's just, it's innocent enthusiasm that he's brought to the ball club, and I think he's been great. And by the way, he's had some terrific at-bats, too. There's a method to his madness. Yeah, (laughs) He takes pitches, he works counts. He looks like a really good player.
0: Do you think we'll see him? For the rest of the year, I do.
1: I do. I think he's the kind of guy, the more that you watch him, the more that you like him. He's multi dimensional. He could play a lot of different positions some infield, some outfield. He works good counts. He doesn't look like he's overexposed at the big league level. He brings a lot of intangibles that a ball club needs, and I like him. I think he's a good player.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, you mentioned good at-bats. I mean, to lead off Wednesday's game, I think, what is it, nine-pitch at-bat against Luis Castillo, a very good pitcher over in Cincinnati, and he was laying off some close pitches, fouling off close pitches, draws a leadoff walk, ends up coming around to score right away, good base running, all of these things. And, you know, I I think the amazing thing about Morell is I've always heard, just as he was a prospect coming up, that, like, the Cubs love his intangibles, everything you just mentioned, Dan. They love his attitude, that he has this, like, A-plus personality. And, we're starting to see it but we also i think see the adversity he had to ride through and and it, um my colleague andy martinez wrote this awesome story Amazing. about how yeah. morel like ran through the the glass door because uh, he just kind of pushed into it and it broke apart and it you know cut the nerves in his arm and it cut by his eye and how he like he was 16 years old at the time and how he like almost didn't make his career because of this and so i think rising above that adversity has helped and um, I, between that and then the, the ability to play every infield position, every outfield position, I mean, it's just easy for David Ross to get him in the lineup when he's producing, when he has the energy he has, and when he can play six or seven different positions.
0: Yeah, the article on marqueesportsnetwork.com it's incredible what Andy was able to talk to him about, get pictures, how he can't even open his left hand fully. He has to, like, manually open it to get it into his glove. Just that adversity. And I think, too, a guy who's coming up from A, And yes. so it's really impressive. And sometimes, and Dan, you can speak to this more so, but, like, when you – go from double A to triple A, sometimes hitters actually appreciate that as you move up, like the strike zone almost gets smaller and guys are, are more consistent and they're around the zone. And you almost feel like that's what's happening with Morales. He just makes that jump to the big leagues that he can have a little more success even at the plate.
1: You hear this term a lot, at least it's called the third deck. Like there, you play in three deck stadium, which is a big league stadium. A lot of guys, they're really good players till that third deck becomes okay. involved. He's seen that third deck. And what I like about it, he keeps the game slow. He, When you watch him in the batter's box, he doesn't appear to be a guy that's stepping out and he has a lot of nervous twitches and energy and he's in the box, out of the box, he gets in the box, he gets himself ready to hit a bad call it's a ball that's called a strike he doesn't get angry he just he keeps his composure i'm really buying what he's selling right now i really like him as yeah, a yeah that
0: confidence that just kind of is in someone and it's something that we've even talked about that you see in Contreras, and you saw in him early on and so when you talked about the fun part of that clip i'm with you i watched it like on loop because it was fun just to watch Contreras's reaction and, and
1: the cool part about it is you could kind of tell if you didn't know much about morale when you saw that home run you could see that his teammates in a short amount of time were genuinely happy for him, and you don't see that often. That that was genuine. That was a guy that probably walked into that clubhouse, and they accepted him, and he accepted the Cubs, and it was just wonderful to see.
0: Yeah, and it's wonderful to see, too, Frank Schwindel kind of Going back to Frank Schwindel, as we know, Tony, that he's someone who was struggling to the point where they sent him down, didn't last very long, never even got to Iowa. Um, But you wonder, and I think that that was actually something in the grand scheme of things that actually helped him and kind of took some pressure off, even if he showed up in Iowa or not.
2: Yeah, I I mean, it's kind of a wake-up call, right? And it's not, I think he understood that the Cubs were in a roster crunch. They needed to send somebody down. But then he obviously got called right back up because they had a couple guys go on the aisle. So I think it was a wake-up call. I think it was kind of um, a call down to earth or whatever for him a bit. I mean, that whole thing where the guy on Twitter said he had to sit in the middle seat flying out to San Diego. <laughs> like, I think there was a little bit of um, of just like, hey, get back to who I am. And he's such an everyman. He's yeah. such like, a, like fans get behind it. And he's such a, like a Chicago personality that I like a lot. But, like, I do think that helped. And then he came back right away, and that first game he struck out a couple of times. But then that next game he comes in and pinch hit that ball that should have been out in In San San Diego. Diego. It should have been, it wasn't, whatever. But, like, that, I mean, that can provide a lift, right? And so I think it was the mental reset that, like, a day off could be. And, Dan, I'm really curious your perspective on this, too. Like, how much could that mental reset impact Schwindel? Because he's been a completely different hitter since those moments.
1: I think that players right now, they're they're more scrutinized than ever because of social media so you get off to a bad start and you haven't hit a home run in three weeks they know how many games they've gone they haven't hit a home run and i'm sure deep down inside he kept wondering like they're not going to send me down i wonder if they will send me down like you know i'm not producing things aren't working out and every day you get uh, get up you go to the ballpark you wonder is that the day that i'm safe i think i'm safe and you're not too sure all of a sudden you get that tap hey listen we're going to send you down and you probably go 24, 48 hours where you do a little inventory check. Say, listen, what, what do I have to do? And maybe, just maybe, he stopped worrying about how to stay and then just play. Just play the game and let the front office dictate if they're going to make a move, they're going to send you down, or they're going to trade you. Stop worrying about what you can't control and worry what you can control. And that's what happens when you get in that batter's box. And
0: I feel like with what happened to him, that he was trying so hard not to worry about what he couldn't control. But then when basically exactly what you don't want to have happen happens, it kind of I think just releases all that and it's just like, okay, it's already happened once and so now what do I have to lose? So now you're going in with that mentality of what's the worst thing that can happen? They've already you yeah. know tried to send me down yeah. and then roster yeah. stuff kind of got jumbled and I'm back up here in the middle seat on the plane flying yeah. out. Um, and so that's for me now. I think Frank is always someone he has said this that when he's having fun when he's loose and all this he's that's when he is himself and that's when he's producing and you get the sense that he was trying to find that early on and now I feel like after everything he's gone through it's not about finding it it's just kind of back to who he is and he has the confidence now that he can kind of get there quicker if he finds himself in one of those ruts again and I think it was yeah it was uh worst best case scenario for him when that stuff happens
2: yeah and I think too I mean The other day when he hit his first career multi-homer game, I mean, both homers were to right field. Like, you know a guy's getting locked in when he's hitting into right center, and a guy like Frank, who makes a lot of contact, swings a lot, doesn't take a ton of walks, but when he's making that kind of efficient contact and he's going to right center, I mean, and driving the ball to right center, I think that's also very encouraging. So you talk about confidence, you talk about mental reset, all of those things. I feel like a game like that, too, can can pay huge dividends for him moving forward. And
0: even just telling Taylor after the game, I want to hit something that was in the zone. He yeah. told me when he was in that funk or trying to find his way that he was swinging at balls in the zone, he couldn't connect. So even in something as little as that, when he starts to feel like it's in the zone, I'm hitting it, going the opposite way, then that gives you the confidence, too. Uh, PJ Higgins, talk about impact. Who knew that, you know, he comes up to the Cubs. And what a story, too, yeah. that he is uh, having surgery in the offseason and now with uh, kind of the injuries and nicks and bumps and bruises that we're seeing to the catchers between Contreras and Gomes. A very valuable piece, and he's stepped right in and pretty seamu- seamlessly.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, Wednesday was actually his first loss ever when he started behind the blades. Yeah, Cubs so, were 7-0, I believe, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's a tough one. And, you know, Kyle <laughs> yeah. Hendricks on the mound, you stick to a 2 nothing lead I'm sure he's sitting there thinking eight and oh he's in the <laughs> sight no I mean in all seriousness that doesn't necessarily mean much except for the fact that like this guy comes up from triple-a catches handles the big league staff well and then produces on the offensive end you know as well as you can expect so when the Cubs are able to to insert a guy like that when Jan Gomes has the oblique injury when Wilson Contreras is banged up with hamstring to have a guy come in and you know that you're going to win and still have a good product on the field I think that's huge for the team, and you know, I mean, they've trusted him for a while. They've talked about him and how much they like Higgins in the organization. And, and to your point, at least, like to come back from the the flexor mass strain in his elbow and. And forearm, and to be able to, to rebound with the team, come up from the minor leagues, be added to the forty-man roster. Like it's been a whirlwind. He was also up too when Wilson was kind of banged up uh, in the first edition across yeah. the, the Beginning of the month, PJ Higgins was up as part of like the taxi squad, so he was around just hanging out with the team, not even playing in Iowa. But he was raking before he came up. Then he, he was up for you know five, seven days or whatever. Goes back to Iowa. I think he was like five for five in his first night right back there. And then he comes up a couple weeks later to the big leagues and wins a couple games. So it's it's a great story with Higgins so far and I think he just produces on the field, gives the Cubs everything they need.
1: Yeah, he's an infielder by trade. David Ross said the other night he might be their best defender at third base in the organization. So, multitask, he can do a lot of different things and he like morale. He doesn't look like the game's moving too fast. He settles right in, puts the right fingers down, the pitchers are confident throwing to him, He settled right in.
0: And even something, when you mentioned putting the fingers down, it's funny because I was thinking about how He's using pitch a right. little bit, and don't you don't have that in AAA, so you talk about Just that. press the buttons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you got to learn the right buttons, yeah, exactly. right? Don't wanna press the wrong yeah. one. Exactly. So, um, but I think it's when you have this catching situation that we did last year, I think it was like eight or nine catchers not named Wilson Contreras yeah. played last season. Um, and now when you start to see uh, guys, I mean, the natural wear and tear that can happen throughout the season, but it's nice to see someone like Higgins step in and kind of um, – help a situation where otherwise you might see some gaps, and he kind of prevents that at this time. sure. And Nico, it's nice to see him back. So off the IL, Dan, um, you know, he's someone you're looking at a starting shortstop, played really well before his injury.
1: I'm a big fan of his, at least. I think he can multiple things. I know they'd like to see him play more shortstop. You have Andrelton Simmons off the injured list. He's playing now. He can play some second base bat the ball skills, he can run the knock on Nico, which has always been since he signed with the Cubs. Can you keep him on the field? If he can stay on the field, he has a chance to be a really good player. I think when they're good again, which is sooner than later, he's going to be right in the part of it. He just does a lot of things. He's a winning baseball player, comes from a good program in college. Um, another guy that looks like they're supposed to look like. The game doesn't go too fast. Um, he's a solid player. Just... Can they keep him on the field? That's the only question.
2: Yeah, actually, on that, I, I wanted to ask you, Dan. Like, did you have you ever seen an injury like Nico, where he collides with the umpire, rolls his ankle a little bit, and lines up on the I mean, aisle like really he did? I saw in, it. Yeah, because that's true. I don't really
0: have like a camera on that stuff. Stop- yeah, there are yeah. there
1: are just guys like that. I played with a guy, who's a Hall of Famer, Paul Molitor, that had some injury bugs when we were with Milwaukee. I remember the last week of spring training, we were running a lap around the field, and the big thing was to try to be the first one to make it. And he tried to grab a catcher named Dave Engel to run by him. And when he reached to grab his belt loop, his foot, when he ran, ran up and hit his hand, and he broke his finger in oh this oh, wow. four weeks. So, oh, wow. I mean, there are some guys that are just snake bit. He yeah. just needs to stay away yeah. from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he needs to find a padded room. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. Including umpires yeah. now, yeah. which yes. we didn't exactly. think was a factor right. until two weeks yeah. ago. One. Yeah.
2: But, but no, I mean, back to his impact on the field, like we talk about P.J. Higgins winning. I feel like Nico's just a winning ball player in so many different aspects. Whatever position you put him in, you know you're getting good defense. You know he's, I mean, he's probably their best base runner, maybe, or one of their best. He makes a lot of contact. I mean, you saw in Wednesday night's game in the ninth inning, he comes up with two strikes, expands the zone a little bit, just kind of dunks, the, you know, the ball out into shallow right center, drives home a run. Like, he does a lot of winning things. And and the great intangibles, like, I, I find one of the most fascinating stories of the first two months is that Nico a guy who's typically kind of quiet is becoming this kind of vocal leader within the team and and he's very outspoken in terms of his leadership within the, the clubhouse and the dugout and for a guy who is young who hasn't been on the field a ton who you know this is his first like full big league season because he didn't even make opening day roster last year like to to see that leadership develop I think it just speaks to more of the intangibles and and the fact that Nico's a winning player so for him to be back in the field I think that's a that's a huge move for the Cubs yeah
0: and to your point I think last year was really valuable for him and it's not something i've talked to him directly about yet but the idea that he went through injury last year Um, just like a full, mostly full season for him, longest yet, and so I think to go through the ups and downs of last season uh, and now be in a position where he is more of that leader, especially of the infield, and feeling like, you know, to step up his game as players are always growing is part of that vocal aspect that you just start to see him grow and really try to not even just earn that shortstop spot but prove that he belongs there and can hold it down and be the person they want him to be. So, still to come on the pod, we're going to talk about some statues, the ones we have outside of the Wrigley, and maybe some that we could have come. And we're just going to talk more with Dan Plesak, so don't go anywhere. The Cubs Weekly podcast is going to come back right after this.
2: At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card, so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC.
0: So, last week, it was amazing to see Fergie Jenkins, his statue unveiled, now on Statue Row. So, joining Billy Williams, Ernie Banks, Ron Sano. And, Dan, I know you actually got a chance to swing by there, see I it. I did, this morning. Yeah, and so just kind of what it was like to see it. And
1: You know, I think the coolest part about that is I think Fergie somehow, someway, has gotten over the years lost in the discussion of really great Cub players. And when you think about the numbers that he put up, and he's kind of like the guy in the, in the Baseball Hall of Fame that you're like, for some reason, you, you, he gets he's one of these guys, maybe because he's not out there tooting his own horn, that he, it gets lost in the way how good he was and how great he was as a Cub. Mm-hmm. You could make a case he was the greatest pitcher in the history of the Cubs organization. And we're talking about a, an organization that's over 100 years old. He was a terrific player, longevity, innings pitched, everything that was valuable, he did.
2: Yeah, I mean, and the complete games, too. Obviously, the game has changed so much, you know, now. But, like, he had more complete games in his 10 years with the Cubs than the Cubs had in 30 years from 1993 it's through this to It's amazing to think that. It's incredible. I mean, he, so you knew that whenever he was taking the ball, and he specified in his speech, which I loved, every fourth day, not every fifth yeah. day, <laughs> every fourth day he would take the ball, and he'd give you, you know, essentially a complete game every time out. So to, to know that, I mean, talk about the stability, what t- kind of tone that says from the rotation, that would be incredible.
0: Yeah, and he's just a fun personality that I appreciate that even to this day, he's someone that you can hear from on Twitter as much as sometimes (laughs) we don't like Twitter. uh, I do like Fergie Jenkins on Twitter. I think that he's a good follow and it's nice to get a glimpse uh, into his personality and just more of what he's up to today. So as for today, we just saw, obviously, Jenkins has his statue. So now we're kind of posing the question. We'll start with you, Dan. If you could add like one or two statues to Statue Row, who do you think is on
1: that list? Well, you know, there are, there are several, but it, I, I think to get a statue, you, you have to be a cub for a long time. Greg Maddox is a guy to me that sure. comes to mind. Andre Dawson wasn't here a long time. That comes to mind. Ryan Sandberg is a guy that comes to mind. Um, if you were to ask me one guy, I would, I would probably go with Greg Maddox. Okay. Um, he's the greatest, he was the greatest pitcher. My rookie year was 1986. He didn't have the best stuff. But in my opinion, he's the best pitcher to throw a baseball in the last 50 years. That didn't do it with 98 to 100, and this is the ultimate compliment. There wasn't a pitcher in baseball that did more with less than he did. 88 to 91, great changeup, decent curveball, but he knew how to use it. He could make the ball dance. He brought that pitch where a righty throws a ball at the lefty's hip and bring it back in. He brought that into play, and now pitchers all across baseball, they want to try to learn that pitch. Mad Dog was brilliant.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great choice, too. And, yeah, I mean, 31, you could put him right next to Fergie, too, because there's like, so there's two little spots in statue row, right? There's two clear areas for a statue to come in they already have the blocks in in place i feel like ryan sandberg to me is like the easy choice too yeah. yeah you mentioned yeah you know hall of famer and i feel like that's it's not necessarily a prerequisite but obviously it helps to have a hall of famer you played almost your entire career with the cubs he's a little bit more recent you know than than the four guys out there now so most of the you know everybody nowadays knows who he is and everything else but so i feel like rhino is kind of like the easy one but I did want to pose to you guys, too, 2016 was obviously so impactful for the Cubs here. So how would you commemorate 2016 in Statue Row? Because any one of those players, I mean, John Lester was great, but six-year career, five-year career, you know. And Anthony Rizzo was great, but, but obviously not finishing his career as of right now here. So, like, how would you commemorate 2016, which was the most impactful year in Cubs history, on Statue Row, or do you not?
1: You, maybe a, a statue of the World Series trophy, yeah. commemorating, you know, and, and the beauty part of that 2016 World Series is I think a lot of people forget they were down three games to one. Yeah. Three games to one. And Jake Arrieta for about a year and a half was the greatest pitcher in baseball. And they had a chance to come back and win that World Series because they ran three pitchers out in Jake Arrieta, John Lester, and Kyle Hendricks that they trusted and they could keep them in games. That pitching staff doesn't get enough credit because when you have guys, you know, the offense, they scored they scored runs and, and they were dynamic. But that pitching staff, to me, was the backbone of that 2016
0: team. Off the top of my head, something else. So I was thinking first, because I thought you do have to do something with the yeah, 2016 yeah. team. I thought you could do John Lester or Theo Epstein, which to me, Theo Epstein obviously didn't play the field, but he was like the mastermind sure. of it all. But as you were kind of describing, maybe like the three pitchers, all of that, I thought, I think one of the most iconic shots of all time is Anthony Rizzo putting the baseball in his back pocket after the final out. So maybe you just have like that That scene to represent all of that, because the other two I was just trying to think of who could represent 2016, not really feeling like uh, Epstein or Lester. I was like convinced that that's it, but I actually think on the spot, I like the Rizzo um, or even like the Chris Bryant, just his hands in yeah. the air after making the Or Brian out. and Rizzo
2: like hugging yeah, uh, exactly. you know, behind the mound. Yes, yeah. one
0: of those shots that everyone kind of remembers from that moment. Um, so there's a lot of moments that we're going to have coming up because it's a packed week. So you have nine games, seven Days, a couple double headers in there. So, first, uh, Dan, I'm going to ask you when you have a stretch like that, what's the key to staying fresh?
1: Getting your rest and hopefully you're playing good baseball. These kind of stretches that the Cubs are about to go on, if you're playing well, they're a lot easier to take. You look forward to getting to the ballpark. If you're in one of those two and eight stretches where you're getting blown out. You find yourself in the third, fourth inning, down seven to nothing, eight to nothing. It's hard to come to the ballpark every day, and you get tired. You get more mentally tired. So the key for the Cubs is start the home stand, get off, get off the road. They have the Crosstown Series with the White Sox. Play good baseball, and when you're playing good baseball, you can't wait to get to the ballpark. When you're playing lousy, it's miserable.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's just playing good defense, too, which I, I think, I, I mean, my personal opinion, obviously I didn't play in the big leagues, but, like, I feel like defense might be one of the things or base running that can can lag first if you're really tired, if you're mentally drained, and making all the fundamental plays, but then also, like, not making any mental mistakes. So I feel like that would kind of be a key as well is because, I, I mean, that hurts, right? Like, when you make a couple errors or, or you're not clean defensively. So to me, that would be one thing that I look at and, and like, really try to hone in. I'm sure Ross, you know, hammers that home every single day, but like the defensive aspect, I think can, can really set the team apart when they are playing two double headers in a week and they don't have an off day for a week and a half here like that. That's big.
0: And I think Ross is really good at balancing his lineup, knowing when guys need breaks or when he wants to give them a break or should. And I would actually say like, it's funny that you mentioned defense like as something to focus on during the stretch. Cause I also feel like too offensively when you have just game after game, after game, to me, it would be easier because if you have have like a bad game or a bad at bat it's like well literally you can always say in baseball there's always tomorrow yeah. but like you got a lot of tomorrows in, this <laughs> in a real short yeah. stretch yeah. <laughs> and you can kind of pick yourself up and things can change really quickly so for me that would be the positive offensively is you almost can kind of you know relax a little bit because you have a big stretch coming up and like every at bat is going to be important um something that is in play this year that we've seen kind of um Experimented with in the past is the seven inning versus nine inning doubleheaders. We see the nine inning this year. Just kind of your take on if you have a preference over one.
1: I, I like the seven inning doubleheader. Yeah, I really do. I think there's a sense of urgency. The fifth inning, it's starting to get late. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, starting pitching is more prevalent if you can get a starter through the fifth and sixth inning. Listen, I love baseball, but sometimes the pitching changes new pitcher in the sixth, new pitcher in the seventh. And it just seems like there's a Christmas to the game that it goes fast. And before you know it, like you're watching a game, it's a sixth inning. You're like, wait, totally. we've only got five, yeah. we only got <laughs> five yeah. outs. Yeah. We've got to score a couple runs. I'm a big fan of it. I like it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For, same for the exact same reasons. I mean, it, it is funny to think about like your setup guy coming in, in the fifth inning or sixth inning or whatever. And it's like they're pitching earlier in the game than they expected. But also it's just, I mean, the the at-bats and the impact of everything that happened in the fifth inning becomes so much more pronounced when you only have 7 innings. So I thought it was really cool. I thought it was entertaining. It was it was a good product because it was crisp, because it was quick. And because if you have 2 in one day, then you know right. you got 14 innings of baseball anyway. But then from a health standpoint, I mean, any of these guys, Nico just coming off the IL, Wilson's banged up, you know, to to be able to have that and know that there's four less innings in a day when you're playing doubleheader. I th- I think it's good all around. I mean, I know the players liked it. I know the managers yeah. liked it. The coaches liked it. So, and from a fan and, and just journalist watching it, like I liked it a lot too.
0: I yeah, I like the 7 innings and I, even the um little part where because it's 7 could your starter actually throw yeah. a games? Exactly, right? Right? Like, If I'm a starter, I put me in. I want to start yeah, one of those sorry. games. Yeah. Right? So I think there's kind of that yeah. fun part to it, too. You're like, hey, maybe it goes the whole way. Um, there's also been a lot of fun moments at Wrigley, Dan. So this is kind of your time where we want to know what was your favorite Wrigley moment.
1: Uh, my favorite Wrigley moment, well, I was with Milwaukee when I first came up to okay. the big leagues. Milwaukee then was in the American League East. Right. So I never really had a chance to see Wrigley field. So my first season with the Cubs in 1993, I gave up a home run to Fred McGriff of the Braves. Ball went in left center field just above the basket. And it was really the first home run I gave up at Wrigley. And the, you know, you think it's funny when you're a, <laughs> you're a visitor and they throw the ball back on the field? Well, this guy throws the ball in and he almost rolls right to the mound. I go to pick it up and it's a rubber coated ball. Oh. He kept the real one. <laughs> And through the game. So he did, it. and I fell for it. At least I picked the ball, and I'm like, ah, I threw it into the dugout. I'm like, threw a rubber-coated ball. He kept the real one.
2: That's a good move on right. his yeah. part, yeah. yeah. Clutch move. Really Veteran fun. bleacher yeah. bomb right yeah. there. Yes. Right, yes.
0: right. And you, do you have just a favorite, like, Cubs-White Sox moment? Because, of course, oh, it's a I Oh, I,
1: I, I thought this was, you know, the beauty of this rivalry is these two teams don't like each other. Right. When Michael Barrett punched A.J. Brzezinski at home plate, I thought that was the coolest thing. At the time, the White Sox had an all-star campaign. Punch A.J. to get him to the all-star game. It couldn't have come at a better time. Bam! Barrett! Threw a right hook and dropped him. I classic. A little
0: literal.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. he was just following yeah. the
1: direction. Right. AJ. Yeah. <laughs> the, the promo. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: yeah. uh, well, those are fun. This was fun. Thanks, guys. I had a lot of fun talking about all this. So, that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly podcast presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube.